Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's, I don't know, Thursday or something today? Feels like a Thursday. And it's time once again for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people, as well as some, if I do say so myself, pretty interesting plant topics. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide on this journey through the plant sciences. And as always, y'all, I'm so happy to be with you today. How's it going? Are you doing good? I hope you're doing good. Hey, it's time for Tree Talk number three. This is another solo episode, and I've been excited to see how much y'all are actually really apparently enjoying this series so far. It makes me feel good because you know that I am a tree nerd and that I've really enjoyed putting this together. So this is part three, and this is one that I've actually almost released a couple of times and almost done a couple of times, but it's sort of a heavier topic than we've been talking about in some ways. And so I wanted to make sure that I did it as much justice as I can. So, so far, we've had two episodes of Plant Talk. And the first one, we talked about how trees don't really exist or not in the way that we typically think of it. And we talked about some of their biology and what makes a tree a tree or not a tree, as the case may be. And last time, we talked about some of the evolutionary history of trees and where they came from. Where are they going? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cottonwood Joe? (laughs) Oh, that was a good one. Y'all, please clap. Please clap. Anyway, today we're talking about climate change. So um, there may be a little bit less nonsense. I know that so far that may not be what you think is the case, but there should be a little less nonsense because this is a heavy topic. And this is going to affect us as humans and our planet as a global ecosystem more and more over the next coming couple of decades. And I think it's important to look at how trees adapt to climate change and some of the things that are happening with them that might make life as a tree potentially a little more difficult. So we're going to talk about life in a changing climate. I want to say up front that climate change is a very big and very complex issue. And I don't have any illusions that I'm going to cover all my bases or touch on and do everything that is integral to trees and climate change and ecosystems and climate change and everything else over the next 30-ish minutes. We'll see how long this ends up being. I don't really know yet. But I want to do my best. And I'm not a climatologist. I'm not a climate scientist, but I am a plant nerd. And I can observe and see some of the differences in plant growth and the way that plants are responding to the environment And I want to talk, too, about some of the ways in which it's going to affect industries and plants in and of themselves and tree growth in and of itself. So we're going to talk about some of the ways in which climate change is affecting tree growth. And again, I'm not a climatologist and I'm not claiming to be. So if you are one of those, please call me. I would love to talk to you on the show. Let's chat. Let's talk about these things because you're smarter than I am. Um, And if you're one of these people out here that's grumpy at me for doing this, I'm not real sorry. I'm, I'm not. And, and I'm sorry for not being sorry. But I, uh, we have to talk about this. It's real. It's happening. And we have to discuss it. So strap in, y'all. It's time for Tree Talk number three, Life in a Changing Climate.
Okay, so here we go. Uh, This is, again, going to be a fun one. I want to start off by saying that climate change is real, and I'm just going to put a pin in that and put a period at the end of it because it's real. It's happening. It is an ongoing process that, at this point, the evidence seems to suggest is largely and aggressively anthropogenic. So we're, we're doing it. We're doing the thing, y'all. Yay. Good for us. Uh, now, there are people that will disagree with me, and I'm sure I will hear about this from, I actually have a list of a few folks in my brain, and we'll see. But here's the facts, that if you look at carbon accumulation in the atmosphere, even since the 1960s, but especially in the last 150 years since we industrialized heavily and started burning coal, oils, gasoline, uh, and other fossil fuels, the carbon concentration in our atmosphere has gone up by more than 30% just in the last 150 years. Y'all, in the grand scheme of things, in geological time, in historical time of this planet, that is no time at all. No, lit- Literally no time at all. It, it doesn't even register on the large-scale history of this planet. And we have records going back, and no, it was not maybe as detailed in the past, but we have the technology to go back and look at carbon concentration in the atmosphere over time. And even in periods uh, where it was warm and there were lots of plants and lots of things decomposing and lots of sources of carbon in the environment, it wasn't where it is today. It was half, two-thirds, 70% of, of where we are today. So we are pumping incredible amounts of carbon into the atmosphere, which causes warming. And it causes other issues, direct health issues to humans. You know, we breathe out carbon dioxide for a reason. You know, we don't really want that in our lungs. It's not great for us. So the more of it that accumulates in the atmosphere, we're up to, what, 430-some-odd parts per million, which, again, is a big jump in the last 100 years even. It causes health problems directly, indirectly. There is more carbon dioxide dissolving into oceans, into waterways, uh, causing marine life damage. There's problems for plants even, which we'll get to a little bit more throughout this episode, and it really just causes issues. So I know there are differing opinions on this, and, and I don't know how else to say it except to say that it's real. And that if you don't think it's real, there's maybe some reflecting you need to do and more data you need to read and uh, people who study this who you might need to listen to and maybe spend less time in some of the weird corners of YouTube where uh, people are calling this a hoax. And the question I have for that, and I'm going to come out swinging on this one, and I hadn't really intended to talk about it, but it's coming out of my mouth. And uh, so I'm going to leave it in. Is, is a, I think a question we should ask ourselves when we start looking at some of the more conspiracy-like theories out there or uh, alternate uh, narratives on what the science is saying about some of these things is, uh, you know, the, the line a lot of times is it's a hoax and they're trying to do this. T- to what end? Why? What's the end goal? And people might say, oh, it's to destroy an economy or destroy an industry. It's like, okay, but... That's happened in the past. The car largely destroyed the carriage industry. It didn't destroy the horse industry, but, you know, it's a different thing, right? People are not buying horses to ride to the market anymore. Well, I live in Texas, and I've seen that. 
less people are buying horses to ride to the market and stuff like that. And these conversations came up then too. But to what end? Right, new industries come in all the time. And that's how progress works. So in general, I think that some of these, at least for me, at least in my own moral compass, uh, in my own ethos that I choose to live by, a lot of those arguments fall flat. But that is a whole other thing, okay? We're going to talk about what some of the science is saying about how these changes in our environment, changes to our climate are going to affect tree growth. So even with a reduction in emissions, if we stopped with our carbon emissions today, temperatures are going to keep rising over the next 100 years. It's it's hard to turn the ship back. And the reason it's hard to turn the ship back is because it's a lot easier to put carbon into the atmosphere and raise the temperature and cause more of a greenhouse effect than it is to remove it. Now, the planet balances itself. We are a weird, big, closed system. We actually talked about this in my class this morning. And things get cycled. Things balance out. Homeostasis eventually is reached in some way or the other. may not be a way we like. But it takes time. So the deleterious effects of us pumping more CO2, carbon monoxide, other things into the atmosphere and changing climatic patterns is much faster, and they, they accumulate much faster than the remedies, at least the current remedies that we have and, and are using. And I will put a caveat in here, that we don't know what future technology will look like. We don't know exactly what's going to be developed. Plants do the thing where they scrub carbon out of the atmosphere, and we'll talk about that a little bit here in a second. And they've done it that way for a long time, and they're going to keep doing it that way. They're actually pretty darn good at it. But as humans, we're trying to come up with new ways to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. And some of them are even apparently pretty promising from what I understand. But we have to develop that technology. And and we're not there today in a way to do it in a way that can be afforded. And actually, if you're interested in some awesome information about this, you should go listen to the What's the Alternative podcast uh, with my friend Tyler. And it's great. He talks about alternative energy sources Uh, remediation for a lot of these things. I was on that show recently, and it's something that you should definitely check out. He uh, is a great, I guess, advocate for climate solutions, and he is always in the news about it. So, Or he's reading the news, and he's in the literature about it. So if you want to keep up with some of the new technologies coming out in what we're talking about today, go check out What's the Alternative. It's definitely worth doing. Okay, so... A question that comes up sometimes is if if we can accept the premise and work together to get on some common ground that we're putting carbon in the atmosphere, that's not great, and it's harder to take it out than it is to put it in, right? Can Can we get on the same page there, please? Please. Okay. Assuming we're on that same page, the question comes up of why should we care? Okay, we're putting more carbon in the atmosphere. It's warming up a little bit. So what? I'll get a new air conditioner. I will... Wear short sleeve shirts. I've really wanted to take up adding muscle shirts to my common wardrobe. Why should we care? Well, we should care because we have to live on this planet. And a lot of the other organisms that we like to live with and we like to eat and we like to cohabitate with that produce the oxygen we use, that clean our waterways, that clean our air, are pretty sensitive to temperature changes, right? Your tree 
can't go out and make itself a new air conditioner. Now, your tree is in and of itself kind of a big swamp cooler, and it does some of those things, but that is only effective up to a point. So if we're talking about trees, trees are kind of a big deal. And we want to make sure that they keep surviving on this planet because they're one of our solutions and they're one of, I guess, nature's solutions to this problem that we have. Now, trees are not the only thing And I want to make a point of this up front. The trees are not the only thing that scrub carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and that produce oxygen. Prairies are incredibly important. Um, Algae, uh, other photosynthetic microorganisms, but mostly algae, are incredibly important. They go through this process of photosynthesizing, which means using light to, to, to synthesize or create something or to change something. So they photosynthesize carbon dioxide into sugars and complex carbohydrates that they use to go through their biological functions, right? And photosynthesize means we use light to synthesize something. And the thing that we're synthesizing from carbon dioxide is carbohydrates and sugars. So Trees are not the only solution, but they're a big solution. And I'm kind of a proponent of when we put back trees, let's put back trees where they're supposed to go. I think that's important. Anyway, let's not necessarily go to Montana and fill up all of our big open prairies with pine trees or or uh, Bradford pears. Please no. Please no. In fact, I think the best way to prune your Bradford pear, I'm going to throw out a free pro tip, and actually we've got more on this in a couple of episodes, uh, is to, to, to go up and measure about six inches from the ground and take your chainsaw and turn it horizontally and just cut all the way across. That's the best way to prune your Bradford pear. Anyway, I digress. So there are a lot of different effects that we see in tree growth and tree development as a result of climate change. And again, in the next however many minutes this lasts, I can't cover all of them, but I am going to take a few and discuss a few of them. In the first part of this episode, we're going to talk about... uh, some of the climate changes that we're seeing and what climate change is leading to in terms of the environment and uh, I just overall weather patterns, climatic conditions. And then we'll take a break. And then at the end of this episode, we will talk about the ways in which that will affect tree growth and already is affecting tree growth. Because y'all, it's not, this is not some big thing that we're waiting to have happen. It's happening today and it's observable today and we can look at all of the effects of this already. So the first one that I want to talk about, because largely water is the rate-limiting step for plant growth in general, is precipitation and drought. Now, I live, and I've discussed this before, in a part of the world that water is a big deal. We get, on average, about 19 to 20 inches or 500 millimeters of rainfall per year, uh, which is not a lot. I don't know if you know this. That's really not very much. And... uh, Averages are interesting things. I've seen years where we get 40 inches of rain. And I remember in 2011, we got four inches of rain. Yes, that's right, folks. A whopping total of uh, 100 millimeters or four inches of rain. Not even 100 millimeters. Not great. Not great. Um, and, And that concerns me as we see that drought patterns are changing and droughts are becoming more persistent and more severe than we've seen in the past. Now, there were droughts before. I want to make the point again that there is a climatic cycle on this planet, but we see it accelerating and we see some of these negative effects and these negative events deepening and worsening. 
Okay. So most of my career actually has been studying water and drought. That I don't know if you all know that, but my PhD is in water conservation in the urban landscape. So I've actually done quite a bit of research on the effects of drought in terms of uh, industry and human health and human uh, well-being, both physical and mental, et cetera, and plant growth and all of that. And it's kind of a problem. So as weather patterns change because of the climate changing, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to rain anywhere, right? And I don't want to make that point. I don't want you to think that because that's not the case. Drought tends to be very localized. Um, I've talked about this before on the show, I think, but when I go to different parts of Texas even and talk about drought, sometimes people look at me like I'm a little bit crazy because along the Gulf Coast in East Texas and the Houston area, over the past number of years, they've had some pretty severe floods. So when I talk about conserving water and how do we keep as much of it here as we can, uh, they're like, no, 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 let's make this go away. So I think it's important to realize that that, that drought is localized. But we see that this, the distribution of rainfall is changing. So sometimes wet places get wetter, dry places get drier, or there's a big flip-flop in places that have been historically very wet it's like the tap turns off or places that have been historically very dry are seeing uncharacteristic rainfall. And you may be thinking, well, that sounds like a good thing, right? More rain, more water, more plant growth. Maybe. But if an area has been adapted to a certain amount of rainfall, that means that the landscape, the plants, the everything in that ecosystem is uh, attuned to a certain amount of rainfall. And when you upset that balance and add a lot more water, a lot more rain, there's not places for that water to go. We see floods. We see uh, root rots on plants that are drought tolerant and that live in drought conditions. So there's a lot of issues. And this will directly affect tree growth, right? I, I think it's important to understand that trees need a certain amount of water based on their species and based on the ecosystems in which they live to survive and carry out their biology, so when that changes, tree distributions, tree health is going to suffer in a variety of ways, okay? Um, the next thing that's going to be sort of changing, and this is probably what gets the most press, is temperature. So there are estimates that temperatures will rise between 2 and 6 degrees Celsius by uh, 2100, so in the next, what, 80 years, 78 years. Um, that's substantial, and I know... That doesn't sound like much. I I know. I get it. But plants have a very narrow, in general, again, I'm speaking in some generalities here, but plants tend to have a very narrow range of temperatures that signal them and cue them to do different things. Let me give you a good example. So uh, I talked about this again in class this morning, but cotton generally germinates when the soil temperatures hit between 60 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit. That means around here we plant cotton early May, right? Um, if it's earlier or if it's warmer earlier, if it stays hotter earlier, that cotton may germinate earlier in the season. And again, we're not just putting seeds out willy-nilly. We're going out and I'm using the royal we here. I don't plant much cotton. Um, and we're planting according to the weather, but it can be kind of an issue, right? If you 
have plants coming up at the wrong time, too early, too late, and then there's a late freeze, there's a big swing in temperatures, um, the winds change, uh, they're more intense, they're not as intense, etc. that plant has to adapt. And it can over time, but that has massive implications both in ecosystems and in our industries. Um, temperatures can cause dormancy issues. Uh, let's take peach trees. So peach trees and most fruit trees have to have a certain number of chilling hours. That's temperatures between like 32 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that is, oh, about between zero and I'm not sure, maybe five degrees Celsius. I struggle with that conversion sometimes. Uh, and it need, they need a certain number of hours in order to set flower and fruit. So a lot of our peach trees have 250 chilling hour requirements up to maybe about 1,200. So in my part of the state, we grow peaches that have about a 1,000 chilling hour requirement. So what that means is over the winter, they have to accumulate that much cold in order to initiate uh, bud development, to break that bud dormancy and produce buds and flowers and fruits. Well, in the Texas Hill Country, which is around Austin, Texas, uh, a few years ago, they didn't get the chilling they needed. And peaches are a major industry in that part of the state. So they didn't get enough chilling hours in that part of the state. It's probably about 400 hours. And so no flowers, no fruits, because there was not enough cold to overcome that dormancy. As weather patterns change, again, you may think, oh, it, it warms up faster in the spring. That's wonderful. We have less winter. There are plant relationships with the environment that are affected directly based on when it gets warm and when it's cold. So temperature will affect that. Temperature also can affect wind patterns and the way that, say, the jet stream or seasonal weather patterns and wind patterns uh, move around. And wind is actually a big deal. Trees naturally resist the wind in different ways. So they may be flexible enough, and, and in a lot of our um, uh, softwood species like pines and things like that, they have wood fibers that flex quite a bit so they can move in the wind quite a bit. In our hardwood species, they put on a lot of reaction wood. Softwoods do this too. So uh, you can actually look at a cross-section of a, of a tree trunk and know which direction the prevailing wind came from because that tree will lay on what we call reaction wood on the side opposite for the, from the wind. So if the wind is coming out of the southwest like it does where I live, you're going to see more wood on the northeast side of that tree as that tree tries to resist that pressure that's put against it. So if the wind patterns change, it may be that young trees don't have enough time to develop this reaction wood to stronger winds in the spring as they're germinating and growing. And we can see direct tree death that way. Um, it can also affect species survival and diversity. Very young plants are pretty susceptible to wind damage. You know, trees... Um, herbaceous plants, whatever. Uh, so diseases can change. It can move insects. It can change pollination patterns, especially in trees that um, are wind pollinated, like cedars. If you are in central Texas right now or a place where there's a lot of cedar and you just see these weird yellow foggy clouds, that's cedar pollen. And it's, it's the cedar uh, putting its pollen in your nose hole and triggering a histamine response and uh, making you sneeze. What if the wind starts blowing from a different direction. Does that pollen end up on the female pine cones where it needs to, or pollen cones, sorry, the female cones where it needs to, or does it blow into your radiator and your house and 
the complete other direction? Do we stop getting seeds? So changing weather patterns and wind patterns can have, again, very direct effects. We also see a lot of seasonal shifts where we're getting, in some places, colder winters, hotter summers, and largely less predictability, large temperature swings. So a plant that is staying dormant, now I'm talking here primarily about a perennial plant that would be more able to deal with cold temperature and survive the winter. Uh, If we have more variability in the spring and it warms up at a different time, it gets warm, it gets cold, it gets warm, it gets cold, those trees may break dormancy too early and get hit by a late freeze. That happens, that has happened for a long time. Uh, where I am, but when we start to see that in different places, we can start to cause more tree damage, have crop loss, tree loss, and it causes a lot of other plant problems. Uh, Plants are seasonal, and they use environmental cues to come out of dormancy, whether that's temperature, day length, etc. Now, day length is not going to change, right? We're we're probably going to have the same amount of light, I hope. I don't know how climate changes affect that. I don't want to think about that too much. That gives me anxiety. Um, but the temperature certainly will. So we may have plants coming out of dormancy at the wrong times, uh, not able to resist some of the temperatures in the summer, and it can cause a lot of tree damage that way. So there are more uh, environmental conditions that are going to change, right? Those are just some kind of high-level ones that will directly affect plant growth in as, as we talk about it from a management standpoint. So uh, we're going to take a break. I'm going to talk to you about a new great show on the Podfix Network you should be listening to. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the specific ways in which these climatic changes will affect plant growth. So stick with me, listen to some music, listen to me ramble during the mid-roll, and we'll be right back. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll. You know I love to see you here. You comfy? Are you having a good time? Uh, I hope you're not having too good of a time because this is a heavy topic, but I'm glad you're sticking with this because, again, this is a very important topic to discuss. But right now, let's talk about Planthropology. If you want to find me places and connect with Planthropology, well, you, my friend, can do that. Planthropology is all over these here interwebs. First off, you can find me at planthropologypod.com where you can find information about the show, past episodes, and all the goodness. Also, if you go to planthropologypod.com and click on merch, it'll take you to my merch store, uh, which is on Redbubble. And the quality is great. All the things you can get are fantastic. And there's some really cool designs. And whether you want a sticker or a t-shirt or a mug or anything in between, you can find some cool planthropology gear there. Uh, Also, I'll have some new designs up soon, I hope. I'm working on them, and I'm trying to get them perfected, and then I'll have some new stuff for you. Also, connect on social media. Planthropology is all the places, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The handles are a little bit different because people like to beat me to stuff sometimes, but if you search for Planthropology, which is anthropology with a P.L. slapped on the front end of it, just slapped right on there, maybe slapped twice, once on each face cheek. Uh, I'm digressing. Just look for the green background with the bristlecone pine, and that will be me. And I hope you do, and I hope you connect. Also, we have a great Facebook group called Planthropology's Cool Plant People. It's a lot of fun. There's lots of shenanigans that go on there. We talk about plants and all of that. Also, I just started a Discord, and I'm really bad at it. Really, really bad at it. But if if you would like to join us, the link is on my Twitter, uh, and you can find it there. Also, I am on the TikTok machine as at the plant prof for better or worse. 
my goofy big head is all over TikTok all over the time. And I say all over. I have like nine followers. So if you want to be the 10th follower, please come check out my TikTok at The Plant Prof, okay? If you'd like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Tell a friend. That's the best way. Tell people you love Planthropology. Share it on social media. Share it anywhere you like. And uh, get more people listening to the show. I would love that very much. You could also leave a rating or review and or review. Both. Do both. If you can do both, do both. Uh, anywhere that'll let you do it. Apple Podcasts, uh, CastBox, Spotify Now, um, Podchaser. I love Podchaser. You can leave me a rating and review on Podchaser. I wear a size five star, but I also appreciate when you're honest with me. So if there's something you don't like, maybe email me first at planthropologypod at gmail.com instead of just leaving a bad review. But I would love to hear from you, and I'd love to hear what else is there. There's other stuff, I'm sure. Uh, if you would like to literally buy me a coffee, uh, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology. And uh, for the cost of a cup of coffee, I'll get a cup of coffee. All right. So now we have a trailer queued up and ready to go for the That Was Great, Wasn't It? podcast that just launched this week. I'm posting this on uh, Thursday, the 17th of February in 2022. And this show just launched a couple days ago. This is by uh, Keith Gala, the fearless leader and champion of the Podfix Network. He is also the host of Pop-Up Filmcast, which is another great show. Uh, This goes back and looks at some classic Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, we talk about, or they talk about, I'm going to be on it eventually, so we'll talk about then, if they're as great and as classic as we remember. So, again, check out Planthropology all places. Go follow the Podfix Network. It's at Podfix uh, pretty much everywhere it lives and uh, get ready for the trailer for the that was great, wasn't it? Podcast in five, four, three, two, and one. Hello, greetings, and good day. My name is Keith Gala, and I'm the host of That Was Great, wasn't it? Each week, I'll be joined by my friends, both old and new, to reminisce on our youth via the nostalgic power of Saturday morning cartoons. Some will be classics, some will be classical air quotes, but all will have us pondering the same philosophical conundrum. That was great, wasn't it? Season 1 will be breaking down Pro Stars. Pro Stars is part of NBC's 1991 Saturday morning lineup and features the all-time greats of Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky doing their best to stop bad guys, inspire the youth, and protect the environment. Keep up the speed with the show by following us on Twitter and Instagram at How Great Was That? Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, so now we are going to talk about the ways in which the environmental effects, the climatic effects we talked about in the first part of this episode will actually relate and impact plant growth. And again, this, I keep saying this, and I think it's important that I keep reiterating, this is not in any way an extensive list. There are things we don't know yet. There are things we don't understand about how this process is going to work. And we're not sure how our plants are ultimately going to react. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. We have some ideas and we're doing a lot of research on this. This is a hot button topic in plant research, but it's uh it it's there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns. There's some things that we still have to sort out um and really see how trees are going to be affected by climate change. Well, let's talk specifically about a few of these effects. 
So the first one I want to talk about is differences in growth and wood dynamics. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that in a lot of places, trees are growing faster, but less dense, right? The wood is less dense. So the way that carbon sequestration works is through the magic and glorious wonder of photosynthesis. Uh, plants use energy from the sun and they convert that light and heat energy into chemical energy. They use that chemical energy then to take in carbon dioxide and synthesize it into complex carbohydrates and sugars that they use to make more leaves and stems and all of that. And as that tree grows and as that plant develops, specifically in trees, those carbon dioxide produced compounds are stored in the wood of the tree. So it locks them up and it keeps them trapped and sequestered. So it takes it out of the atmosphere and turns it into a tree. Then we use those trees to build houses and products and things like that that ultimately, hopefully, will last a long time and be recycled back into the environment. Uh, really, we're not releasing that carbon back into the environment again or at least into the atmosphere again unless those products are burned. Then we're releasing carbon dioxide again. Okay, uh, that's a whole really short summary of what happens. So as these trees have more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to grow, their growth rate is increasing. And as they lay in wood fiber, there's a lot of evidence that shows that the wood fibers are not interlocking as strongly, uh, and that wood is not as strong. So if you look at a two-by-four, construction materials from, say, 50 or 60 years ago, uh, there are really tight growth patterns. The rings are fairly small. There was limited carbon, uh, even at that point, in the atmosphere. So the plant growth was moderated. Some of that was management. Some of that was weather. There's a lot that goes into it. But if you look at modern two-by-fours, the growth rings are a lot wider. And uh, if you look, when I say look at the two-by-four, I'm like, take a piece of it, look at the end of it. And you see those bands in it, those are growth rings on the tree. Well, really, when you're talking about dimensional lumber and construction materials, having those closer together is kind of a good thing, right? There's more wood that's laid in to that same amount of space because it's grown more and more and more layers. Now, again, this is a complex issue, and a lot of it has to do with the way that uh, forests are managed and harvested and all of that. Uh, we're pushing some of the trees harder. We're maybe choosing some different species in some cases, but largely – uh, more carbon dioxide and faster growth rates are causing these trees to, to jump up very quickly and, and increase in diameter very quickly, get taller. And all that sounds great, and it's not necessarily bad, but they're not laying in as much wood. So one, the questions become, are they sequestering as much carbon? We maybe don't know completely. And two, is that wood as strong? And I think we're starting to see some of the answers of that. And uh, that can be kind of an issue, right? So if you have wood that is still growing and we're still using it, uh, it's kind of great, actually, because we can cut it faster. We can turn it into products faster. But if it's not as strong, if we're not locking up as much carbon, we have to find room to plant more trees. If trees are, again, our main source of sequestration, they're a pretty important one. So that is potentially a major issue uh, that, that seems to be accelerating. I've read a couple of papers that suggest that in some forests, trees are growing up to 70% faster, but not accumulating as as dense of wood. It's the same amount of wood. So if the tree gets twice as big, that means the density has to spread out 
in some ways. We want tight grains and we want strongly inter- interlocking wood fibers. And it, again, this is a more complex issue than just that. But this is one piece of evidence we're seeing that plant growth is being directly affected negatively or not even necessarily negatively, but differently through climate change. Another thing that is going to happen and that we start seeing or that we've already started seeing happening is that ranges are changing. Uh, And what I mean by that is that trees are sort of migrating. Now they don't pack up and grab their hat and their briefcase and uh, throw a bag over their shoulder and walk somewhere else. But we're seeing because climates are changing, we're seeing differences in species diversity. So places that may have had just one species of tree or two species of trees or certain demographics and percentages of different species of trees, some of them are more able to deal with climate change and higher temperatures or more rainfall or less rainfall. So over time, the distributions of canopy cover change in different areas, or we may see trees popping up in places that they weren't always. And uh, I have an episode coming up with Dr. David Coyle, who studies invasive plants and plant insect interactions and a lot of things and i can't wait for you to hear it. it's actually coming up like in two weeks so i'm really excited about it or three weeks and i'm really excited about it but one of the things we talk about is that plants that are not invasive in a place now may be in 20 or 30 years or less time because as the climate changes it changes the growth dynamics of these plants so they may move into different areas this is also an issue when we talk about herbivory so the herbivore is that um feed on trees are changing their ranges too. Now there's one called the pine bark beetle. And if you've been in Colorado or the Western U S lately, you've probably seen large swaths of dead trees uh, killed by the pine bark beetle. Now this beetle, uh, and this was actually news to me. David has taught me so many things in that episode. Hope you're as excited about hearing it as I am and putting it out in the world. But these are actually a native species. They're an endemic species. I didn't realize this. I thought they were introduced. But one of the reasons we're seeing so much more damage is that they're moving higher up into the mountains, they're changing their range, and they're going after trees that are maybe less um, able to resist their predation, their herbivory. Uh, One tree that actually we do see that has some genetic memory from a long, long time ago when those beetles were more in the range is some of our uh, more persistent, longer-lived pines like the bristlecone pine, which is my favorite tree. But we're seeing that there is a lot of change in where insects are going, where herbivores are going, and the ways that they're feeding on trees. And a stressed tree that's stressed from uh, fires or a lack of rainfall or higher temperatures or too much wind damage, X, Y, and Z, is more susceptible to herbivory and insect damage and disease pressure and all kinds of other things. So it's not just that the trees themselves are moving their range, but the things that eat the trees are moving their ranges too. And we don't know ultimately what the consequences of that will be. We're starting to get some guesses, and a lot of those guesses are not uh, pointing in happy, good directions, right? The next thing I want to talk about, and one of the last things I want to talk about is fire, Wildfire. Now, we've talked several times on the show, and we're going to talk more about how this is a planet that is maintained largely by fire. Fire is not in and of itself inherently bad. Okay, I, I, that is important to understand. But we've done a lot um, 
to change the way that fire burns. Some of it's poor forest management and prairie management where we're not managing our fuel loads like we should be. And so there's more things to burn. So when a fire starts, it's not just burning up a small patch of land. It's burning big patches of land. And these fires are burning hotter because there's more fuel and things available. But one of the reasons there's more fuel and things available is a little bit of what we talked about. Some of our woody plants are growing faster and they're outstripping our ability to manage them and maintain them and get rid of them. So we see that fuel load is increasing, both because of management, because of climate change. Species that grow in the understory are changing. Uh, And we're seeing that fires are getting hotter. Some of this is because of hotter air temperatures, more intense winds that are able to stoke these fires and really add a lot of heat to them. Uh, A fire that has a lot of air in it and a lot of fuel tends to burn pretty hot right? Um, We're seeing drier land areas where there's not as much buffering against these temperatures and against these fires moving across the land. Higher winds, again, cause damage and they move uh, the fires in different patterns. And all of that sort of adds up to increased tree damage. So a lot of trees, the bark is designed, built, evolved to resist fire. And in, especially in places where fires are common, like, you know, pine forests and even hardwood forests. And so fires that have a minimal fuel load that burn in a certain temperature, the tree can take it, right? The tree will deal with it and keep going. It may not be super happy, but it'll keep living. Uh, fire leads to other species germinating. Seeds can germinate, X, Y, and Z. It replenishes the land. But if that fire's too hot, It can kill the seeds. It can be hot enough to actually burn through the bark and set the whole tree on fire. And it can cause a lot of problems. If the flames are tall enough to get up into the lower branches, a lot of those will go up quickly. So our fire dynamics are changing. And because of that, it's driving worse wildfires and it's causing a lot of forest damage. Again, there's a complex issue. There's a lot of factors into it. But climate change and climate patterns shifting are big, 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 big contributing factors to that. The last thing I want to talk about before we sort of wrap this up are some of the economic impacts we're expecting from tree uh, damage, tree changes because of climate change. Coffee. Let's talk about, oh gosh, coffee. Y'all, the the happy bean water that makes us go fast and keeps us from punching our roommates and our friends and the first person we meet in the mornings because it stimulates our brain parts, right? The most uh, widely and socially acceptably consumed stimulant on this big earth of ours, coffee. Oh, coffee. I'm drinking coffee right now. I shouldn't be. It's like 6 p.m., but I'm drinking coffee right now. Coffee trees are pretty sensitive to changes in temperature, in rainfall, in humidity. And as that change, we're finding that our range of places we can actually grow coffee is shrinking quickly. And these trees take time to establish. They're hard, not hard to grow, but there's a lot of work that goes into growing them and harvesting them and shipping it and all of that. So we're seeing that our availability of coffee is already starting to decline. The prices will go up. It'll get harder to get. And that's not cool. I am not excited about that, right? Uh, And it's not just limited to this one tree this one crop. There are a lot of tree crops, both uh, grown for their fruits and nuts and all that, or grown for wood production that are going to have similar effects. I mentioned earlier how 
not getting enough cool temperatures in the winter can cause fruit trees to never set flower, to never set buds for those buds to never mature and never to produce fruit. And then wood, right? We've talked about some of the impacts that the changes in wood structure and composition can cause. Now, I don't want to leave this with all the doom and gloom because there was a, there was a bit of that today, and I don't tend to typically be that guy. But this is a big issue. What is encouraging to me is that we are starting to try to turn the ship in a lot of sectors. There's a lot of work going into plant breeding and uh, forest and crop management, fruit tree management, developing of new species, uh, new tools, new best management practices to address some of these issues. We are planting trees at great rates to help sequester carbon and produce more oxygen. We're starting to figure out that we need to manage our prairies better and our waterways and all of that. We are combating climate change. But y'all, it's it's going to be hard to turn the ship back the other direction. And I worry that we have not seen the worst of the consequences yet. But there's hope. There's hope. And people are nothing if not adaptable. We have a lot of great solutions and if we can work together to develop these solutions and figure out ways to sequester carbon faster and there's technologies coming then we can give our trees really a big leg up we can help them out with scrubbing the atmosphere clean of these things that are heating the planet changing weather patterns accelerating wildfires and all of these different things that we've been talking about so have hope i know it feels bleak sometimes and if you sort of exist in the same circles I do, we tend to unfortunately be more fatalistic than we should be sometimes. But there is hope. There is always hope. The most radical thing you can do right now is to have hope in a better future. Um, To support the people that are trying to change for the better. To look into and invest in and work in and support industries and new technologies that can clean up our environment that can clean up our atmosphere and make this world a better place so y'all uh you know how much i love you and you know how much i appreciate you being a part of this thanks to you for listening first and foremost and for being a part of this journey thanks to the texas tech department of plant and soil science for supporting these efforts and supporting this podcast i could not do it otherwise and as i always say please be kind Keep being nice to each other. And if you have not been kind to each other, maybe start. There are a few things as courageous and as radical and as cool as being unreservedly and unabashedly kind. Uh, it, it takes a lot. All right. Keep being cool plant people. Uh, keep praying and hoping for a better world and we'll get there. And I will talk to you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network. 
artist owned and loved.